Welcome to This Week in Lotus. The weekly roundtable discussion of all things social, collaboration, technology and community. Here's your host, Stuart McIntyre. This Week in Lotus, episode 41 for Friday, 4th March 2011. I'd like to see Steve Mills do the monkey dance. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. You can find this and other tech-related podcasts at techpodcast.com. Beluk, the Belgium-Luxembourg Lotus User Group, is hosting a third major event on the 31st of March and the 1st of April this year. Two fully-packed days, more than 40 sessions, and many of the best speakers in the community. You are welcome to join us in Antwerp in Belgium. It will be exciting and it will be free. Please visit www.blug.be for full details on the agenda. But register ASAP, because seats are running out fast. Remember, blug.be. Hi, Warren Ellsmore here, and I'd like to tell you about the UK Lotus User Group. This year, the largest Lotus event in the UK will be held in Manchester on the 23rd and 24th of May. As always, we'll have a great lineup of speakers from the IBM community, giving you some of the best administration, development and management information out there. We're also really pleased to be supported by some of the best Lotus Partner Solutions as well. Attendance at the UK Lug event is free thanks to the generous support of these companies. So, if you'd like to attend UK Lug, put forward a speaker session or sponsor the event, please take a look at www.uklug.info and we'll look forward to seeing you in May. Hey there, Stuart here. Just a quick message to let you know we had a very spirited and passionate discussion on this week's podcast with, shall we say, more industrial language you would normally hear on this show. However, it was, we believe, a tremendously interesting conversation and would have been diminished by any significant editing for language and thus we are publishing it as is. Just a warning that if this might offend or else you're on speakers in an open plan office, you might want to use headphones. Anyway, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to episode 41 of This Week in Lotus. I'm Stuart McIntyre and we're back for another weekly roundtable discussion of all things Lotus, IBM social business and everything that goes around that. I'm joined as usual by Darren Duke. Hi there, Darren. Hello, Stuart. How are you? Hello. Uh, really good, thank you. It's been a, a positive week doing a, a Lotus Connections upgrade here, which has gone very well. So I'm in a happy mood this Thursday. How's your week been? I'm busy. I've got probably 17 million tweets to catch up on and God knows how many Skype chats because <laughs> we started an exchange to notes migration over the weekend. So it's just kind of been hellish. <laughs> well, a good project to be on anyway, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah. And we, we had some good feedback from last week's episode with Chris Paul. That was, that was a good one. We got some, some good background into some of the design decisions that were made there. I don't think I've seen as much feedback on a single episode as we had on that one. So it was good to see that it was coming from everywhere. I mean, even Alistair tweeted on it. Alistair Rennie, GM of Lotus, tweeted about it. Um, and I'm trying to actually connect Chris Paul's group up with the customer I just are working with right now. Excellent. Well, that'll be good. He, he certainly sounded interested to hear from some of the folks moving from Exchange and Outlook. So it'll be good to, to line those guys up. 
he contacted Lisa bef- right after we hung up from, from recording. So before it even went live, he was he was asking Lisa, and Lisa's like, what's Chris Paul talking about? <laughs> uh, no, it's good, good signs. It shows he wants to yeah. be engaged. That's always good. Good signs, yes. Yeah, so this week we are uh, on for a slightly different This Week in Lotus in that, uh, you know, we, we try and get a mixture of IBMers, business partners, customers, and also some folks outside of those three categories. Um, and so we're joined by a couple of analysts this week to discuss uh, Lotus and social business and all the kind of things that go around that. So first we're joined by James Governor of Redmonk. Hi there, James. Hello. Hello. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. Very well. It's, uh, well, busy as ever, but um, no rest of the wicked and all that. Yeah, absolutely right. So do you want to tell us about Redmonk and what you do there and what kind of projects and, and business you get involved in? Yeah, sure. Uh, basically, Redmonk is an industry analyst company. Um, we're a pretty small outfit. We're certainly not a, a, a leviathan like Gartner Group. <laughs> um, yeah, they're, they're basically four guys. Um one in London, that's me. One in Seville, uh, that's Tom Raftery. He runs our sustainability practice. Uh, and then two guys in the States, one in Austin and, and one in uh, that thriving tech hub, uh, Maine. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, basically, uh, Redmonk is kind of different from the other analyst firms uh, for one reason. And, and that's that we primarily focus on uh, practitioners and specifically software developers um, rather than just the people that sign the checks. So whilst uh, primarily analyst companies tend to really focus on, oh, we're the guys that are going to have the line of business user or the, the CIO or, or various other purchases, um, we tend to think there's an awful lot that happens in IT um, that is frankly nothing to do with purchasing. Um, in fact, a lot of IT is to do with avoiding purchasing uh, and avoiding the sorts of uh, uh, restrictions that they, they put us all through. So I, th- I think the traditional industry analyst business is all about buying stuff, magic quadrants, uh, and so on. We're much more about uh, how, how to build stuff. So we have a pretty strong advocacy position for software developers and software development. So in, in terms of our business, you know, basically we, we spend our time out and about with uh, hopefully uh, smart developers helping folks to understand um, uh, how to get the best out of their platforms. Brilliant. Okay, well, thank, thanks for joining us on the call uh, today. Really appreciate you taking time out to be with us. In terms of disclosures, you need to mention that you work with IBM or anything like that? Oh, sure. We always disclose everything. And, yeah, uh, IBM is a client. Um, Lotus is, is, is a client. I'm bound to mention probably others on this call that may be clients. And, and if I do, um, I, will, uh, I will disclose it at the appropriate point. But certainly, <laughs> yeah, we, we do make money from the, from the, from the vendors of tech. Um, you know, frankly, uh, thank Christ for that, because uh, I don't know about you, but if we tried to make money from developers, uh, <laughs> I, don't think, I, I don't think we would have launched in 2002 and still be going today. Let's just put it like that. Excellent. Well, <laughs> thanks for being on the call, James. I look forward to it. Also joined by another analyst, Angela Ashenden. Hi there, Angela. Hi there. Hello. Thanks for joining us today. Do you want to tell us who you work for and what you do there? Um, sure, yeah. Um, I'm a, um, a principal analyst at uh, MWD Advisors um, and uh, a bit like Redmont, we're a, we're a small um, uh, organisation. We're based in the UK. Uh, there's uh, four of us within the organisation. We have um, sort of three uh, research um, uh, areas that we, we cover. One around collaboration, which is my focus, uh, one in BPM and uh, one in um, analytics and information management. Um, and, and we kind of really come at um, sort of the analysis from the perspective of, you know, how can an organization really use 
IT to drive business transformation. So, you know, about pulling together the, you know, the three strands of our, our research areas around people, process and technology and how you can really make that work as an organization. Okay, excellent. And and in terms of involvement with, with IBM and Lotus Technology, have you been kind of in the collaboration space for a while? How long have you been doing it? Uh, well, collaboration specifically um, is actually since I joined MWD back in 2007. Um, but prior to that, I uh, worked for uh, another analyst company, Ovum, for, for a number of years, covering all sorts of um, sort of similar areas around content management portals, e-learning. So I've kind of been tracking IBM in various guises right the way back to about 2000 when I started out as an analyst, really. Okay, great stuff. So... Um, Many of us will be aware of analysts. You know, we we speak to customers. Uh, Darren and I, both business partners, speak to customers, and we hear about Gartner's magic quadrants and and what analysts are advising them to do in terms of technology and so on. So, um, do you want to give us the background to to what does your sort of day job really entail, Angela? How, what do you do as part of an analysis and research and so on? And and kind of where does that take you in terms of some of the customers you see and some of the uh, vendors you go speak to? Um, okay, well, is, is in terms of um, sort of the outside world, the, the, the research side of things is kind of three different aspects. One is obviously speaking to the vendors and tracking what they're doing in the marketplace, new developments, um, key trends that are, um, are coming up. Um, but also talking to the other side of the coin, so talking, we talk a lot with um, end user organizations. We write a lot of case studies um, focusing on the, the practicalities of, of implementing these technologies. Um, and, you know, obviously a lot of sort of um, desk-based research, writing, uh, producing reports on, on key topics and, and trends that are out there. And obviously, again, we do a lot of you know, outward-facing sort of PR, speaking at conferences, um, engaging directly with, um, with clients both on the vendor side and on the um, uh, end user side and, and, and you know, sort of generally sharing uh, the, the, the expertise that we kind of gather over that time. And James, is that broadly uh, the same as the type of work you do? Um, yeah, I don't know, uh, sort of. Um, we're very different firms. I mean, we're both boutiques, but but um, yeah, uh, it, it, yeah. At Redmonk, um, as I say, we try and spend. Uh, you know, the, the key thing for us is, as I like to say, we're not on the sell side or the buy side. We're on the make side. Um, you know, we 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 actually sort of you know don't do a great deal of of, of case study stuff per se. Um, but we do try and, as I say, identify and get close to practitioners to better understand what they're doing. Um, a lot of that, you know, basically is, is time spent on the web. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's, it's in, in terms of, of, of the business, I mean, you, you've got a range of different things you're doing as an analyst. You want to, A, uh, do consulting um, uh, about your uh, areas of expertise and so on. Um, you want to uh, be writing, publishing, uh, generating ideas that will hopefully drive traffic, that will uh, drive that consulting business and so on. Um, and you want to be researching. So you just kind of have to balance in and around those three activities. Um, and hopefully you're, you're constantly learning, uh, constantly generating good ideas or amplifying others' good ideas, and then consulting with your clients to those ideas. Uh, you know, for us, as I say, understand developers and in many cases help vendors uh, to better serve them. But, on you know, really everyone's becoming a vendor now. Um, it's kind of funny as, as a business, we decided, you know, we would explicitly be more explicitly, you know, we're not chasing the, you know, the, the wonderful, you know, enterprise uh, line of business purchaser client. 
Um, but the more we talk about developers, it's interesting. Everybody seems to want to have an app store now. Everybody wants to have an API. And we've actually found ourselves being, um, you know, more in demand since we told the purchasers we weren't interested in them um, than we were before. So, um, you know, as, as, as kids, we all grew up and we see superheroes and supervillains and no one seems to know how you become a superhero or supervillain. And I think in the IT world, how, how you become an analyst is kind of that same thing. So can, can you both kind of describe how, how does one become an analyst or maybe even how you guys became analysts in the IT industry? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I'll jump in. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no set career path. I mean, I'm, I'm, I started life as, as uh, you know, my professional career as a journalist. Um, but I was one of those journalists that really wanted to understand the technologies he was covering. Uh, and lucky enough, you know, had been through the, you know, early 80s. Uh, if you wanted to use a computer, uh, it, it certainly wasn't like today. I mean, you had to you had to get into the guts of it, basically. So I, I came at it from, you know, uh, well, basically anyone that was in that micro, BBC micro kind of revolution had a <laughs> sense of, of what architecture was. Um, uh, I think the, 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 the thing about analyst business is it's, it's not a, a profession per se. I mean, we're not like an architect or something. You don't have to have had to go to a particular school or something. Uh, really, it's a question about um, building and showing and establishing expertise and you know, having a stamp, um, and and that stamp is is really a company that calls itself an analyst company. I mean, I'm I'm pretty skeptical about all of this. There are people that call themselves analyst relations professionals. So you know, you have public relations, you have investor relations, and so on. Um, it's kind of weird to me that the analyst relations people that are there to you know serve their clients, to work with us, and so on, call themselves a profession when we in fact are not. The truth is, anybody can be an industry analyst. Um, I tend to think the market will decide whether you're um, any good or not, or at least the, <laughs> the the company that you work for will will you know stamp you. I am an industry analyst. I wrote a series. Some you know uh, you could easily Google them. Um, I wrote a series uh, back in the day. I think of three posts called "How to Be an Industry Analyst." Um, you know, at Redmonk, we hired uh, Michael Cote, uh, who worked for us in Austin, without ever meeting him, um, on the strength of his blog which was called Drunk and Retired. <laughs> so I, I think that there are many, many routes to becoming an analyst. Uh, it may well be that Angela's was more traditional. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know that there is a, 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 is a traditional route. I mean, I came from a, um, an industry background. So I was a, um, a developer uh, at an insurance company um, and kind of sort of, sort of moving into sort of the more the business analyst um, environment and I kind of fell into the IT analyst by accident actually um, but it, it kind of it suited me just that you know the nature of the research the constant learning curve um, you know the the you know the interactiveness of, of the career was kind of really what was what drove me to it and what's kept me with it um, for well 11 years now so um, yeah I think I know a lot of people who come from different places whether it's industry whether it's the vendors um, you know whether from consulting type background obviously journalism as well and, and I think you know it all depends on the personality as much as um, you know the background it's around sort of your ability to um, articulate clearly be able to speak to different types of people so you know you can talk at a technical level but you can also talk at a business level and the, the, the whole um, bunch of characteristics that that um you know that that are i both both are desirable for an analyst but also make a good analyst well my, my writing skills would probably preclude me from being an analyst then 
I can't write anything longer than 140 characters anymore. <laughs> and, and and that kind of alludes to, to one of my questions is that, you know, with so many folks having their own blogs now and effectively publishing their own analysis, if you like, of, of the bit of the IT industry they work in, does that mean that effectively anybody can be an analyst now? Or do you think that, you know, James, you've already mentioned there's no particular route to get into it. But I wonder, you know, what does it take to kind of set yourself up to to be an analyst? I guess it's just in well, terms yeah, of respect I mean, the, from other the, people. The, the, the certification... Um, comes from there being a company that is the analyst firm. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be really straight with you. There are some interesting dynamics here, uh, which is that basically nobody wants to pay a blogger. <laughs> um, As we know, yeah. The idea that, that a blogger would be paid for consulting is somehow anathema to many organizations. They don't have a purchasing uh, infrastructure to sort of deal with them. And it's one of the interesting ones. It's kind of like non-profit or open source. Oh, you're open source. That means you work for free. <laughs> oh, you want to work for a non-profit. That means you work for free. Ah, you're a blogger. That means you'll come to our event and write lots of nice things about us for free. Well, actually, no, piss off. Um, I, 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 there is an element of oh, we have created this, this situation ourselves. Um, and, and I think one of the interesting things for me is, is uh, you know, I'm certainly I'm, I'm a blogger. Um, but I'm an analyst. To me, blogging, social media, it's kind of like saying, you know, I'm somebody that uses a telephone. Um, I'm somebody that uses a Bic Biro. Um, <laughs> social media is something that I, I use rather than something that I am. And I think one of the things, if you position yourself as a blogger, honestly, um, you will be seen um, in terms of outbound communications rather than what I prefer to be in a situation where I'm, you know, basically helping with product management, product development, um, and much more interesting issues. Um, so th there is a bit of a challenge there. I, I, so, uh, you know, just being a blogger doesn't make you an analyst. You need sort of some sort of, you need either a, a company that's going to sort of do that. I mean, th there's an interesting uh, group out there now. Um, well, I mean, there have been a couple of sort of, the, there were the enterprise irregulars. Some of those were analysts. Some of those were not. Um, there's this new group, uh, the Constellation Research Group, um, that uh, Ray Wang has formed, which seems to be analysts or consultants. Uh, I, I think the bottom line is that, that, that what you said is absolutely right. Um, there are lots and lots of great practitioners that are blogging um, and, and creating really actually tremendously valuable um, information about the technologies they use and the opportunities and approaches you, you might take. Redmook has always seen ourselves as packages of some of that knowledge. We like to cite where our ideas came from. We do not believe we're Jesus sort of, uh, you know, presenting how you should uh, live your life. Or we don't think we're, I mean, I guess a better would be, we're not Moses coming down from the mountain with, with Ten Commandments of IT. Um, frankly, uh, we do not have um, a, a direct um, sort of uh, uh, telephone line to God. Um, we, we, we go out there and try and, and deal with, with people that know stuff. Um, we cite our sources. Um, you know, we're in the, in the bazaar rather than the cathedral. We like to get out and about. That's, that's our model. Um, anyone could be an analyst, but, but you are going to need to be certified. But the certified come, comes through working for a company, I think, yeah. rather than uh, sort of uh, an industry certification. I think that the, 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 what people perceive as um, an analyst's role has changed as well. And if you go back sort of when I, when I started as an analyst 10 years ago, it was all about producing a great big thick report. And, you know, at Ovum, you know, that was always the, 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 um, you know, the, 
the joke, you know, it's the, it was all about the weight, you know, the, the, the quality was all in the weight sort of thing. Whereas now, um, it, you know, things have changed a lot. A, people aren't prepared to, to read that kind of volume of data, of information. Um, they want to have it presented in a much shorter format, hence the, the move to sort of more of a sort of a blog or a, a Twitter-led sort of um, um, cons consumption model. Um, but I think also f now from, from the, the, the way that the analyst adds value, given that there is such a, a blogosphere, if you like, out there already, um, is around the direct engagement. It's around the kind of the conversation around with, you know, whether it's buy side, sell side, developers, whatever it may be. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's kind of almost sort of moving to a much more sort of consultative um, position than it used to be, which was much more about sort of publication. So James, you, you're kind of forthright with your views, um, as I've seen via your blog and so on. Does, does that cause you any issues in terms of when you criticise companies that, that you write about? You know, I, I imagine... Um, you know that that you you need to kind of balance both both positive and negative to keep those kind of relationships going. Do, does that put you in a sticky position ever being as forthright as you are about some of the stuff you write about? Uh, no, not really. I mean, we t we turn away business every day of the week. Um, I mean, you know, we we uh, good example. Um, there is a a large tech vendor, and I'm I'm not going to mention them because it's really not that important yeah. um, who they are. Um, but uh, they they wanted to sign up as a client. Um, and they said, well, you know, uh, we'll, we'll become a client, but we demand the right to uh, see all of your publications before you um, uh, publish them. <laughs> no. And, and, um, and, you know, clearly they do that with, with other analyst firms and other analyst firms sign the contract. We just said no. So they're not a client. Um, you know, we, we don't do white papers, uh, A, because they're boring, um, and B, because of the same thing. You do a white paper, then people want to check for facts, you know, fact-checking, and, you know, they start changing the spelling uh, uh, of stuff. They start changing all sorts of things. I mean, my favorite one of this is is a certain large uh, analyst firm that, that likes to think it's independent um, wrote a piece about um, uh, Chuck Phillips from Oracle, Charles Phillips, and uh, uh, they ended up uh, changing, changing the title um, because it said Chuck Phillips from the horse's mouth, um, and, and Oracle came and said Chuck Phillips is... Is not a horse, um, which is, is is pretty freaking weird if you think about it. So, uh, you know, we, I mean, are we under pressure to, uh, you know, I think the industry's changed. I mean, just interesting, Angelus is more consultative. Um, I, I think they want it to be more PR-like. When I came into the business, you could write um, a report that made comparisons of vendors. Now everyone's like, no, don't do comparisons. If there's comparisons, they might know that our competitor has an offering in the space. Oh, wait, but aren't we industry analysts? Um, I, I mean, the, the, the thing is, is that you, you, you kind of, uh, uh, the industry analyst business is all about um, managing conflicts of interest. That's what the business is. Uh, we've all got one or two uh, somewhere. I mean, one thing I would say is, um, you know, uh, clearly, if, if, if all of our clients suddenly said we won't do business with you, well, I guess we'd be out of business. Yeah. Um, but but honestly, I'm much more concerned that developers uh, would 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 think that what we were saying was dodgy or shilling or you know the commercial stuff I can deal with. But if we lose our reputation with practitioners, then we're completely fucked. So, um, so Angela, perhaps, perhaps you. Oh, wait, 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 wait! Did you? I, I thought I signed a contract that said you would not delete my um, <laughs> my, my profanity. 
Come on, guys. Well, what's this? You, you'll be all, you'll be saying we need to do fact checking next. <laughs> no, no, this no. is this is a podcast. That's only for blogs. <laughs> Fair enough. So, guys, if if we kind of segue into um, you know the, the area that, that we cover on this podcast, which is um, you know IBM Lotus technology, but but more widely collaboration, social software, whatever you want to call it that, that we're working in. Um, so, James, perhaps you can kick us off. You kind of look look after the the developers. I saw a post recently where you kind of made the point that um, that it's all about the developers now because of of the app stores and because of the the progress we've seen in terms of it being an app driven kind of market. We're working with the focus is back on developers, and um, the vendors need to get the developers back on board. Do you do you see that as, as kind of where we are? Is it moving away from platforms to, to be more about the apps again? <coughs> yeah, well, I mean, <coughs> clearly, you only need to look at, at Apple <coughs> to see the good, you know, good platform. I mean, a good platform is only good, as good as its apps, obviously. Um, and and I, I, I think with Lotus, the opposite is true. I think we've been through a period where they wanted to sell Lotus as an application rather than as a platform. And I think to be successful, it needs to be positioned more strongly and aggressively and supported as a platform. It's not just IBM selling a collaboration app. Um, so, you know, and, and I don't think it's just tech vendors that need to rethink their relationships and, in fact, are rethinking the relationship with developers. This is true of the enterprise as well. We've just come, we're sort of coming out of this deep, dark, sort of gloomy time when there was an awful lot of, oh, God, you guys don't want me swearing on your podcast. That's really annoying. There was an awful lot of um, poo. There was an awful lot of poo spoken about um, how development could be done. Um, you know, oh, yeah, you'll, you'll do some UML, you know, diagrams. You'll, 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 you'll use a requirements management system, and then we'll send this to India and these CMMI level five um, outsourcing companies will build fantastic code <laughs> that gives us just what we wanted. And it's going to create business value and it's going to be synchronized with the business. It's going to be awesome. Well, you know what? It wasn't. It didn't work. Um, you know, there, there is, I'm not going to say that all um, offshoring uh, development doesn't work, but there is an awful lot that does not. And I, I think organizations have seen that to some extent. Um, but combine that with what we're seeing, um, you know, at, at Apple, what we're seeing with Google, what we're seeing uh, with Silicon Valley and so on. I mean, look, guys, you know, let's get real. The idea that you can just, you know, if everybody could be distributed everywhere and you could just write uh, a requirements diagram and get it filled in, why is it that the tech companies all insist you work on campus? You know, why, why, you know, why does everybody have to work on campus at, 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 at a place like Facebook, you know what? And obviously, that's changing a bit as they internationalize. But there is, in Silicon Valley, a very strong campus culture. And that's because you're getting developers uh, close together. And then the question is, well, how do we get them close to the market? Um, so I just think uh, it, it, development is, is, it is a craft. And uh, the, the best, frankly, the best projects are when developers have um, some domain, uh, some business domain expertise. That's the best way to get alignment. Uh, it's not to imagine that a business analyst can create magic and that, you know, the poor benighted coder comes along and, and sort of, you know, instantiates that magic. That The model is just, um, it doesn't really work. I'm, I'm not a fan of, of that whole um, world of, uh, of, you know, whiz-bang interfaces and telling me that the business analyst will solve all known IT problems. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, that, uh, that, 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 actually, it doesn't really matter what I think. Uh, the, the truth is, 
we're seeing other organizations, we're seeing the market moving this way. And I think part of it is because of the consumerization of IT, and some of it is because, of just frankly, the failures of traditional methods of, of software development. I mean, you know, um, offshoring to India works great uh, with Waterfall. Uh, unfortunately, Waterfall works like shit. Yes, I agree. If, if, it was, if it was structured in a way that there was no thinking outside of a box, I think a lot of the stuff that failed would have succeeded. But unfortunately, software development is sometimes more of a black art than it is of a science. Oh, yes. Okay, and, and Angela, I mean, if you were to... <laughs> You'll get a very different view from Angela, I and suspect. That, and so that's, this is going to be what, interesting. Well, and that's why we've got you both on today. I think it's great you're coming from slightly different viewpoints. And Angela, I mean, if you, if you were to kind of sum up where we are with, with collaboration and, and app development and so on, what, what do you see as the major themes of, of this year, really, in terms of you know who's coming to the fore, what kind of technologies are going to be big this year? Well, the area that I'm sort of focusing on specifically around um, collaboration, social software, I mean, it's it's a broad area in, in itself. But, um, you know, I think what's interesting is particularly around the social side of things is that um, the, what we, you know, a year or so back, you know, we, we you can list off there are so many social players out in the marketplace. But what's interesting is that... Um, there are some that are really starting to shine through now. You know, some of them are starting to be quite um, uh, noticeably sort of more established in the marketplace. The the, the offerings that they have are, 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 you know, really starting to sort of mature or, or come together in a more sort of platform approach. And I think you know this is a this is a different sort of area than 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 that that obviously that James has been talking about. But I think from 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 my perspective, you've obviously got big guys like IBM, Microsoft. You've got some real um, medium-sized players, relatively speaking, um, in there like um, Jive or um, Intelligent in the social software area. And then you've got a load, load, load of smaller uh, players, you know, some of the more high-profile high ones, people like Social Text or like um, Huddle or, or Igloo. Um, and then sort of alongside that, you've got, you've got some that don't really fit into that kind of bracket. So Google, for example, who, you know, is obviously a, a very big vendor, but relatively small in the scheme of um, uh, the, the collaboration market. So I think you know th there's, there's a lot going on there. You've got new players coming in who are starting to shake things up and actually having quite an impact, like um, um, Salesforce.com, their chatter um, products that are coming in. You've also got um, um, companies who can't quite um, work out how to position themselves in the collaboration market, one of which is Oracle, who's um, the Beehive product has never really uh, kind of had any significant success. Um, and Cisco is still trying to find its way. We heard um, last week or so that they abandoned their idea to enter the email market. So it's kind of, you know, it, there's there's a lot going on, um, but I think it's, it's maturing now, which is kind of good to see. I think it's interesting you mentioned Oracle and Cisco because both of them are sort of, you know, vendors that have got traditional expertise outside collaboration space. Kind of saw collaboration maybe two or three years ago as being this this kind of big growth area, um, massive opportunity there and jumped into it and yet don't seem to have really had much success there. So it, for me, that's quite interesting given how much resources and, and, and expertise they have that they haven't made more of a success of that. It, does that surprise you that people like Cisco are pulling out of, of commodity email, which you would have thought would be something that would be real growth at the moment well i did think they would give it a go i have to say i, I was quite surprised that they did i, I guess um it, it's probably the right decision for them in the, in the long term but the, the challenge that they've got as particularly at cisco is around um 
their core business. You know, their core business is the network and, and everything that they do, their, their, their growth strategies all come back down to, you know, providing content to sort of drive network traffic and um so their challenge has kind of been how to how to position the collaboration around that and they've, they've kind of gone more down the um the conferencing and the video kind of route and i think that will be a more a more natural um market for them to to, to follow um it's you know it's it's kind of a shame for the other markets that they were coming into because i think they've um helped to sort of drive profile around stuff i mean they've, they've still got their quad product um, but we haven't heard so much about that either um, since it was uh, first announced. But um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of torn on that one. I, I think, you know, it, it does make sense, but I think it's a shame. <laughs> well, and, and I think when they pulled it, well, actually when they bought it and they put it in the WebEx, I was always kind of confounded about the phrase WebEx email because when I say WebEx, the only thing I think of is online meetings. And I think it's making the jump between brand A and product B. And I don't think they were ever able to overcome that. It does, when you talk about collaboration, I think we get it. Okay, online meetings and email. Yeah, that's kind of a collaboration portfolio. But I think from a, WebEx's brand is so strong. I think it was very hard to gym it in there. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, the, and the WebEx, like I say, I mean, the, the, the web meetings kind of really fits neatly with the whole network argument. I mean, it's just a, a much neater fit. Um, and I think, you know, they kind of thought they could extend it out into the broader collaboration um, environment. And I think it's much harder <coughs> to, to, uh, to do. And they've, they've found that and they've obviously um, um, decided to cut their losses now, which I think is, is fair enough. But, uh, um, yeah, it, it, it does put a, a complete different spin on, on what they've been positioning as collaboration for the last uh, couple of years. And, and my understanding, and I'm, I'm a, hopefully someone can... Uh, say this is true is I think they were they were planning on using Outlook as the front end to their email infrastructure and I think they may have fell foul of the same thing IBM did with uh, Demo Domino Access for Microsoft Outlook is that every single fixed pack changes the way the underlying infrastructure of Outlook works so you know you're always playing catch up is, is, is that true Stuart do you know if that was what they were trying to do I don't know. I, I know that Outlook was was part of that solution, I believe, but I, I don't know whether that's the reason they pulled out. Clearly, IBM had massive problems with getting the information out of Microsoft and, and the kind of standards that they needed to make that kind of stuff work. Well, shit, guys, I'm telling you, I use I used Outlook on a daily basis with, with, with Google Docs, Gmail. It works just fine. Uh, before that, uh, I used uh, Zimbra, uh, again, with an Outlook front end. It worked just fine. Um, Active Sync is is a tremendous thing, frankly, that Microsoft did for all of us. Um, and and if IBM failed to do that, I think that's more IBM's problem than than Microsoft because I found Outlook to work pretty darn well um, with with these other services. I mean, yeah. your mileage might may vary, but in my experience, at least, that hasn't been a big big deal. And I, th I think you're right. I mean, if, if it's standards-based, if it's IMAP and so on, it works just fine. It, I think it's when you get down to the exchange kind of level um, protocols that, that IBM have had issues. At least that's the way it's been portrayed by the folks that are in the know there. So, um, James, it, it, if you, 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 know, you live and work in, in London, going through the, the London railway stations in the last couple of weeks, it's just been a massive um, you know, <laughs> advertising campaign. Cloud! 
cloud power! Exactly, cloud power, wherever you look. So do, how do you feel about the cloud? Is this some um, um, you know, dream that everybody is, is kind of uh, yeah, headed towards <laughs> with no with no option of, of kind of staying on premise? Is this where we'll all be in five years' time? Is is IBM and the others right to kind of make it this this kind of um Nirvana. 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 There you go. Yeah. Uh, um, or, or, or is it just just another place to hold your data? Um. Whoa. Or is it just another? I mean, is it allowed to be somewhere in the middle? Of course it is. Um. Yeah. I. I am. Um, well, I'm actually a big believer in the value of public cloud. Um. Uh. You know. Funnily enough, I mean, I, I saw it more. Never mind this thing called cloud. I started th- talking a few years back about something I called the synchronized web. And it was just the idea that we needed to be able to use an assortment of different services, all of which would be, you know, pulling in and polling from probably centralized services, but not necessarily centralized, um, just in order to provide better experiences across a range of clients and everything else. The cloud is really bloody good at that. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't think it's all hype. Uh, There genuinely are extremely useful things you can do um, using the internet, uh, yeah, I think we need a pretty pretty broad definition of, of cloud uh, in order to talk to this. Certainly, um, is it a good storage mechanism? Oh yes, it's a fantastic storage mechanism, um, but it, it could be lots of other things as well. I, I, I just, you know, I don't think cloud is, has been overhyped. Um, although I do think it's a shame that now everything in enterprise IT is called cloud. Yeah, like your private cloud is your server room. <laughs> yeah, your private cloud it is your server room. It's absolutely bloody everything is private cloud now. I, I you know, I, I think from a from a cloud perspective, it's interesting because it's there is this kind of sense that um, at least for now, it's um, you know the benefits are much clearer to see for smaller organisations than they are for large organisations. And I think that's kind of. Um, you know the challenge with the overall story is that you know the the, the reality of moving everything to, to the cloud is just too complex for a lot of organizations to public cloud you know there's the the integration issue is just so immense um that makes it just too much to over to, to i know because because integration is so easy behind the firewall right <laughs> yeah, well, yes indeed of course <laughs> You just plug the two things together, it's fine. You know, I think, I think web technology is actually making integration easier. Um, and also, I'm a little bit skeptical about the, you know, cloud is only good for small companies. Um, you know, I'm certainly not advocating that what we do is take all of our existing workloads and move them to public cloud. Uh, we, we've never in IT or, or, you know, really, really seen, you know, we're going to do everything on the new platform. It's a very gradual process. Um, and, and, yeah, the idea that, I, you know, I would go in and pick my most important transactional workloads and move into the public cloud doesn't make a great deal of sense to me. I think cloud, I think IT is accretive. It's more like, you know, a, a snail shell or something. It just, you know, it just keeps on building more or a coral reef. You build more and more layers on top of stuff. And cloud is a new place to build. Some new um, workloads absolutely make sense in the cloud. And that's true of big companies, too. I mean, you go to a big company... We don't, we don't use the public cloud. Um, yeah, uh, okay, well, let, let's talk about this and drill in. And then you get into, well, you know, or in fact, they'll probably say, we don't use any cloud. Aha, so what about Salesforce.com? Well, of course we use Salesforce.com. <laughs> you know, oh, oh, we don't trust the cloud with our data because, oh, wait, so your customer data, of course, that's not important to you. You don't use Salesforce.com. 
Oh, we do use salesforce.com. That's our most important date. And you're, hang on a second, guys. Um, I'm just a massive skeptic about security, um, you know, in, 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 I'm a massive skeptic, skeptic about, you know, sort of common or garden behind the firewall IT. I mean, you know, how many stories have we seen about people, you know, well, I mean, it, every bank, every government organization has lost, you know, tens of thousands, if not millions of customer details repeatedly. And this wasn't the cloud. This was IT. So, you know, I think that and the integration thing, a little bit overstated. I think find the new workloads. We will see more in public cloud. Um, but, you know, what do I know? I'm just a developer advocate. So it's, it's a different kind of perspective. So on, on, on the cloud, well, I hate to use that word, but isn't it all cyclical? Isn't the cloud just us moving workloads to a centralized repository that not, the users don't see? You know, a.k.a. Uh, uh, an old uh, an RS6000 and an AS1 where well, the uh, dumb terminal and my browser's a dumb terminal isn't it all cyclical are, are we going to come back in 10 years and say that was a stupendous idea but it's not working out we need some richer functionality are our browser's going to catch up um, yeah that's a great question I think the industry generally uh, you know it is cyclical certainly to your point uh, every time we think well you know we were all saying we'd all just have browsers and then the iPhone came along and everyone started writing you know to to the Make new ie6 called called ios um you know it it, it, it it's it, of course it's cyclical we have seen some of this before i mean you know i think it was the cto of emc said you, you know whether you call it a mainframe or a cloud is just a question of when you were born um right but you know the history <laughs> of it as i see it is 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 pretty simple um you know for just a few words it's 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 implement uh re-implement uh, rinse and repeat. Um, so we, we don't really learn from our mistakes. Uh, we don't necessarily learn from our best practices. Uh, but no, I do see uh, the, the use of the internet as, as, as substantively moving the bar forward. So, so Angela, a, qu a question for you. You mentioned small businesses, and I, I'm kind of in agreement. I think the cloud is is a very low barrier of entry to you know, someone just starting the business, wanting wanting a storefront, because we all businesses, including mine, started from one person. And what what at what level, when you say small business, do do you mean? Do you mean less than a hundred? Do you mean less than twenty five thousand? Because one of the things we we miss with IBM is when IBM say SMB, they mean people not called Coca Cola. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I I think you kind of when you're talking small business, you've got to come down to you know an organisation of the size of ours, for example, yeah, four people, um, you know, that, that, it, that is a whole range of things. And I think, you know, the, the issues are, you know, basically, if you're talking small business around this side of the issue around cloud, I think it basically comes down to what scope you have for an IT department, you know, what, what capability do you have to, to live to provide and support your own IT in house. And I think that's kind of the boundary. And, and it, it will depend on the, the type of business as to what that, um, you know, how big that needs to be, because obviously, a, you know, a, an art, more IT literate organization is going to be much more capable of, of doing that than, than I don't know, a, um, you know, a, a, a PR organization or something like that. Um, so I think, you know, that it's, it's a moving boundary and I think it's hard to, to kind of put a figure on it. But yes, a thousand does seem to be way too big. <laughs> um, um, so I think, you know, in reality, you kind of like you, you're sort of talking about the sort of the hundred or so less hundred or less um, people, I would say. 
And so uh, on the cloud, I know you've been looking a lot at email systems, Angela, and, and kind of, you know, where the market's going with, with some of these, you know, with, with Gmail versus BPOS versus Lotus Live and so on. I mean, do you see email now as, as just being the commodity that is, is kind of the first thing people are looking to push to the cloud? Do you see the rest of collaboration infrastructure going in the same direction, direction particularly for smaller businesses like we're talking about? <coughs> Well, I think uh, it's certainly one of the, the, the most high-profile ones. I think it's the one that kind of um, offers the most um, sort of obvious uh, cost-saving opportunities. Because although, you know, there are, there are various other collaboration tools which um, have been, uh, you know, they've been predominantly cloud-based models for, for some time, you know, Conferencing, for example, you know, is a collaboration tool, and you know, look at WebEx; um, it's it's been around for a long time. You've also got a lot of the community software, which a lot of which have been have spent the last few years being predominantly cloud-based. But because they uh, certainly around the, the the communities tools, because they're not as mature a market, they haven't really um, kind of seen the same kind of interest or or um, kind of adoption levels uh, within organizations. Email is kind of one of those things where everybody's got it. We, we all have it to some um, extent or another, and some of us in a very significant way. It's some large organizations, it's the only collaboration tool they really have. Um, uh, and it, it consumes an awful lot of resources, both in you know licensing and in support and um, whatever else. So the, the opportunity to kind of move to cloud and to um, to get the benefit from, from that is kind of obviously very appealing and I think that's a lot of the reason why there's this kind of massive drive at the moment around cloud email um, but I think you know when you look into where we are today with it for example I think we're really um, you know the, the the majority of organizations that are using cloud email are, are the small organizations for whom a full migration to cloud is not a completely hideous thing to imagine um, uh, I think you know for any larger organization what um, we're likely to see more of is kind of cloud being used as a way to extend their capability in one way or another, whether that is, um, you know, providing um, access to people who didn't have email um, capability before um, or um, providing um, uh, sort of email accounts to, to partners or, um, you know, providing sort of a, a, um, an extension. So using this kind of hybrid approach, which a lot of um, or a few vendors have started talking about, IBM in particular talking about, uh, also Microsoft talking about, um, but where you have, you're basically extending your existing on-premise infrastructure um, with a, a cloud um, infrastructure and allowing that to be seamless to people so they're not sure whether, they, they don't need to know whether they're using an on-premise version or a cloud version, they can still integrate um, and, and email um, um, and share, co share calendars, etc., with um, their colleagues and whatever, um, as if they were in the same environment. And I think that's um, certainly for the short to medium term is a much more uh, realistic um, expectation of, of what's going to happen in this area than you know a wholesale move uh, to cloud email. And James, how, how do you feel IBM's doing with its Lotus Live effort in this area? I mean, is it is it staying with with the leaders in the space like Google Docs and, and Google Apps and so on? Um, yeah, I, I think to, to you know, at least from the perspective that you know Google has clearly um, done a tremendous job picking up an awful lot of smaller businesses. Uh, again, that's just not even the space IBM is going to go after. Um, you know, Lotus Live, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be for IBM's existing big customers that, you know, want some of the new whiz-bang. 
and IBM can give it to them. On the other hand, they do have some work to do. Um, you know, IBM needs to do a much more effective job of internationalizing uh, Lotus Live and working on the um, uh, the data uh, location issues, frankly. Um, uh, you know, are they in the game? Yeah, I think they are in the game. And certainly, you know, with their existing customers, they are in a position, you know, if, if these existing customers are considering alternatives, IBM has a, uh, I was going to say a dog in the race, but that, that might be a little bit offensive. Uh, <laughs> Um, a horse in the race? <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I think as well, I mean, the, 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 the key with Lotus Live is that, you know, it's it's get becoming increasingly functional. You look at, you know, some of the, the capabilities that are in there and, you know, the, you can sort of check the list as to, to whether they're comparable to, to what you have with, with the Lotus portfolio. But the reality is that it's a much more condensed um, uh, set of capabilities. So... You know, you, you don't have some of the more sort of sophisticated features that you might have if you bought the on-premise version at the moment. Um, and I think, you know, with the Lotus Live, where it really sort of stands out is, and actually IBM really do position it this way anyway, it, isn't, it sort of shouldn't be um, a surprise, is around the um, sort of the B2B collaboration. It's, it's kind of less about internal collaboration. It's as much about, um, you know, you need to have an environment, you know, more and more organizations. And again, interesting, this is, more the case for smaller companies. You know, smaller companies tend to have more um, collaboration with external people than with internal people for obvious reasons. There are fewer people. Um, but, you know, the, to, to provide that kind of um, environment that you can sort of share content, you can, you know, um, instant message, you've got pr uh, presence, you've got conferencing, um, you know, mail as well. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the real... Um, kind of difference between the Lotus Live portfolio and and the on-premise um, portfolio as it stands at the moment. And again, again to pile in, um, I think Angela is absolutely right. I mean, Lotus Live is something different. It is a collaboration platform rather than just email, and um, it, it makes a lot of sense in in B two B sort of context. Uh, one of the things that we need to see from IBM is is a more coherent and aggressive developer strategy. Um, to, to, to really nail that. I mean, I think one of the things that was disappointing about Lotus Sphere was that you never really actually, nobody ever said in any of the keynotes or anything what Lotus Live actually did for them. It was sort of very high level, but in some of the, 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 the sessions, it became clear that actually, you know, this was substantive and, and uh, clearly useful. Yeah, there were actually, there was a good couple of cases. I mean, the, the, um, some of the ones that, that really sort of stood out, people like there was the signature mortgage case study that they mm -hmm. yeah signature mortgage amazing it's fantastic uh, you really, know, really they good. should have had it they should have had a keynote slot no question and that that was one of the things I think I tweeted is you know after sitting in that 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 keynote is why weren't these guys on stage at OGS and instead of uh, absolutely instead of a panel. You know, this this is a major success story. This small mortgage company now has Quicken Loans kind of worried. Um, and, and that's that's a good thing. That goes to show the, the real power of these collaboration tools. When when you can multiply the, the, the apparent size of your organizations. Like, for example, all the people on the phone work for organizations in less than 10 people, I believe. But no one would know that from, from some of the stuff that we do. And and I think that's what IBM needs to drive is is it is a multi, it's, it's a multiplier it's a multiplier of weight it's a multiplier of influence and it's a multiplier of sphere of influence. Absolutely. Yep. And and guys, you were both at Lowsphere, and, and clearly one of the, the major um, themes of Lowsphere was social business. And IBM really trying to get this um, you know get get social do business message out. Do, 
James, did you think there was enough developer meat in that message in terms of um, you know development uh, of, of apps being part of the whole sort of move to social within the businesses we work with? Um, uh, I uh, our first day certainly not. Um, you know, much of boring talking heads talking boring bollocks about social business. <laughs> Uh, not not really turning the dial for me, I'm afraid. Um, I I expect a lot more um, meat on the bones. Um, uh, you know, I, I think as is often the case with these large IBM events now, I'd I'd quite happily miss the opening day keynote because they're so high level as to be useless to me. Um, but I think as time went on, there, there was some interesting uh, Lotus development stuff. Um, you know, so I, I think that there, there was some, um, and that, you know, I, maybe I'm being unfair, but, but again, understand this, my base is developers. I want developers to be celebrated. And if I don't see that and it's not shouting, then I'm going to say, Hey, this, this was not so good. There is a challenge with, with, with Lotusphere, um, as it is at the moment, I think in terms of the position positioning, because I mean, clearly, you know, the, the, that there was a, a sort of a real, um, sort of taking up to, like you say, to, to the high level strategic kind of social business um, perspective, whereas traditionally, you know, Lotusphere was about the developers. It was about the notes, um, you know, developer base. And, and I think there is this kind of this challenge for IBM in balancing that because, um, you know, the, the notes developers are still going to expect the same kind of, um, you know, technical um, focus as they, they have done going back years and um and yet there's kind of this need for it for for ibm um to extend the lotus um brand beyond um beyond notes <laughs> and domino and i think you know that's that's kind of an ongoing problem and that's probably why there was this kind of real emphasis on the social business um side of things and um it's just a question of whether that might backfire slightly and and it kind of smacked to me a bit is it you know we we, we kind of are seeing the deprecation of a Lotus brand as a whole and moving under the IBM umbrella, which it was only a matter of a, a decade or so before we all knew that was going to happen when IBM bought them. Now, but, but what I also see is it looks almost like a deprecation of this is a tool that we can give you that you can create whatever you want insofar as we've got notes, domino, IBM forms, and, and more, hey, this is a application that you can use but it's difficult to customize you know aka quicker connections and and, and same time so it seems to be you know they're, they're moving from a we will give you the platform to create whatever you want as to as opposed to we will give you the application that you will use and and i'm not sure that that if it is a plan if it is a good plan or even if it's not a good plan is, is can the tooling exist to make it easy to develop connections applications or even quicker applications, which is even more difficult to do than connections? Whose question's that? <laughs> Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I think that that's where we're at, unfortunately, is, is that connections of quicker really are platforms. And there are some specialists out there that are developing for them. You know, people like Snaps uh, and Rob Novak and that are doing great work around quicker, but they're a relatively small um, development base, you know, compared to the folks that have been developing on, on Notes and Domino. You know, there's probably a thousand companies around the world that are doing development um, for other customers, probably even more that do development in-house. And, and I don't think IBM's necessarily carrying that development base across to some of the newer platforms, whether it's Portal or um, you know, the, some of the customer experience stuff they're talking about. So I, I think that's going to be a challenge, is, is how do they take that traditional 5,000 people that go to Lowsphere every year, plus the many, many more that are at home in their businesses that develop and admin on the traditional notes and domino base onto the new products that are clearly where IBM see themselves playing over the next two to three years? I think that the added challenge of that is around the connection side of things and, and what kind of has started to come out around the social you know, the social everywhere um, theme that kind of was last year's focus and kind of not so much this year, but the same principle is there around, you know, connections is, is kind of less about being a, you know, an application and it's more about being a set of features that they can um, embed in the different, various different IBM tools. You know, look at things like, the, you know, the rational stuff that was talked about, Cognos stuff and, um, uh, you know, and leveraging that social capability rather than necessarily having it as a as a distinct application. So I think that that's kind of a third, um, you know, layer on that, that sort of, um, you know, with the, the sort of development and the, the application side of things. And, and what do we think about the rebranding? I mean, you guys are analysts, you, you talk to, way more non-IBM customers and, and, than Stuart or I do. And, and the perception inside of this yellow bubble is that the Lotus word can turn off a, a lot of people. So maybe transferring the brand inside of IBM will help the IBM salespeople or specifically the Lotus salespeople uh, get through that door without mentioning the L word. It, do you guys, A, do you, do you think that is true? And B, do you think it's a good idea? Well, I def personally, I definitely think it is true. I mean, I think despite um, best efforts from, from IBM over the last few years, um, Lotus is not seen as a brand in its own right. It's Lotus Notes. It's, you know, that that's where the, the the connection is. And I think, you know, because of Lotus Notes and the, the background to it, you know, and there's maybe years worth of um, issues that they have to overcome around um, perceptions relating to that. And I think it is it is a challenge for them. Um, and so I think, you know, that um, it makes a lot of sense to, to back off that. But the danger is, again, is the danger is that they then lose um, the loyal Lotus Notes, Lotus Domino um, support and, you know, the, 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 you know the, the upsell opportunities that go with that, if you like. But then equally, is that a developer rather than a buyer issue? I don't know, and, James. And, and I think on your blog, Angela, I think you mentioned that was that the last Lotus for you and is this next year going to be IBM's for you? I think it was your blog, right? Yes, right, yeah. No, it's interesting because, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's less and less about Lotus. So it does kind of beg the question why, why you stick with Lotus for you, other than it's, it's a very strong brand. James, how are you feeling about the Lotus brand? Is it something that you think they should keep or, or just let go and, and be part of the overall IBM business? Well, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm on the record. I, I think that, you know, brands, frankly, um, help us navigate. Uh, they do have some value. I think one of the things that IBM forgets, um, sort of seems to repeatedly forget, is that it, it doesn't actually own its brands. Um, the market does. You know, IBM is always, you know, oh, yeah, I know. Let's, uh, let, let, let's, have a new, let's have a new, let's call this product something else. 
and then that will be better. Uh, um, MQ, MQ series, bah, that's rubbish. Yeah. Tens of thousands of customers happy with the product. I know, we'll call it WebSphere MQ. That'll clear things up. Let's call everything WebSphere. You know, and, and then people say, ah, WebSphere, the IBM middleware museum. You know, then IBM says, ah, these servers. Sod that. The AS400, what a load of rubbish. We can do better. Let's call it the i-series. I know, i-series isn't cool enough. Let's call it system i. Because if, if we just have a bunch of boxes called PZ and I, they're going to be really easy to find on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that begs that begs a question. So, if it and, you know, and, and I just, as I say, I think that IBM and and you know, literally, you know, there are still people out there that, as far as they're concerned, they're MQ series customers. Yeah. There are still shops out there that, as far as they're concerned, they're they're AS four hundred customers. Um, and and you know, there are going to be customers out there that definitely still think they're Lotus customers. Um, now, you know, flip side is some of this stuff sucks. I mean, let me tell you, you know, Stephen O'Grady, my business partner, um, he started life as an SI. He would rather stick nails in his eyes than ever use any any rational products, you know, because of the experiences he had with Rose. Um, uh, you know, Tivoli, shit, I've been in a room. Um, I, I, you know, I remember this very clearly. It was, it was great fun. Um, being invited to present to... Um, a bunch of Dutch Tivoli customers, and you know that the Dutch love their uh, service management, their ITIL stuff. Dear Lord, I gave them a presentation. They were respectful, but they could not wait um, to talk to, I think his name was Milko van Jul. Um, boy, oh boy, did they give him a reaming. If I had have understood any Dutch, it would have been hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, you know, it just, I think that, the, the, to Angela's point, you know, why wait until now to start thinking about getting rid of the brands? And then you think about the events. So we've got like Rational's event is like called Innovate. Um, you know, uh, the the WebSphere event is is Impact. So yeah, do we call it? Uh, you know, what do we call this Sphere thing if we don't have have Lotus? And yeah, I mean, you know, to me, I'd be like, shit, you've been stubborn for so long, guys. Keep being stubborn. I mean, how long have people been saying Lotus is dead? You know, if I was IBM, I'd be like, well, I am never getting rid of that, just to piss you guys off. <laughs> <laughs> so so how, how do they turn it around? I mean, obviously it can be done. I remember, you know, 10 years ago, Hyundai cars in the United States, worst car on the planet. And then last year, they won car of the year at the, at the uh, motor show. So obviously it can be done. Do they just have to throw tons of money at it and go head-to-head -head with a Microsoft? Or is, is there another way? I... I... <sighs> I think as much as anything, it's about having, and this is kind of, I think, where, what they're trying to do is about having a convincing um, overriding strategy. I think if something else can sort of take over around it, the social business side of things, and if that can really um, have an effect in terms of taking the profile beyond um, the Lotus uh, division, if you like, to, to, to IBM's capability, then, then they can get beyond that. But, uh, you know, again, you've still got Lotus Notes in there and they don't want to lose that. So um, I, I don't think it's something that can be resolved quickly. I think it's going, to be, it's going to be an issue for them for a long time. It's time to do the bomber monkey dance. I'd like, to see, <laughs> I'd like to see Mills get on stage and rather than, you know, throwing a million bucks and saying, go for it, Salesforce. I'd like to see him do the monkey dance and shout developers, 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 developers. You know, um, yeah, I, I, I'm sure he'd tell me that was silliness. 
But I, I think that developers uh, are, are the people that are going to support, create an economic opportunity around a platform. Lotus has screwed up its developer strategy many times over the years, you know, more than once. Uh, I think key to organic growth is get the developer strategy right. And, and from what you're saying, you certainly don't feel that they're there yet in terms of, of convincing developers that, that the IBM Lotus portfolio is something they should be developing on? Yeah, I mean, I think the key thing, you know, you asked a question I perhaps didn't answer so well um, uh, about this IBM portfolio, I mean, one, or the Lotus portfolio. One of the things that, 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 that definitely strikes me is, is that there's more than one stack there, and I think that's fine, that's great. Um, you know, small things loosely joined. Uh, that's that's one of the the key sort of key uh, understandings, um, are, you know, of the web. Um, but the simple fact is, there's a web stack here that's going to be applicable across multiple products. Um, you know, when you are looking at technologies, HTML5, cascading style sheets, um, OAuth, uh, Open Social. I mean, you know, when you suddenly start seeing some of the stuff we saw, which is pretty pretty cool actually, the event. Um, you know, Cognos popping up using the activity stream standard. Then you'd open, uh, you know, an open social container and do something in that. I mean, the, the key thing is, is, is these are technologies that web developers can understand. So unusually, IBM has a, a stack or a set of stacks that, that are relevant to these developers. Now it needs to put its arm around them. And, and the question is, will it? One last question for you on developers then, James, is we've had several conversations on this podcast over the last few weeks about uh, academia and whether IBM needs to do more to get students developing as part of their computer science degrees or whatever on the Lotus stack. It, it, do you see that as being a, a major part of this? Do we need to make a call for the, the kids coming out of university or, or is it more about the folks that are inside their businesses today, making, making something that's, that's relevant to them, getting their business processes aligned uh, and, and more productive than they currently are today? It, it, it's a mixture of both. I mean, always invest in, in universities. Always do your best to get in there. And one of the things, you know, this is the classic way IBM should see the opportunity, to my view. Um, currently, uh, company, company uh, uh, educational establishments, um, you know, aren't doing a great job of teaching web technology. You know, I mean, fine, uh, you know, we're still getting, you know, crap loads of Java graduates, and that's fine. Um, but, but I think, you know, we, we need to see much more emphasis on sort of JavaScript skills. Those organizations will need help and money because uh, I, I don't know about you, but the last time I looked, um, you know, education is, is not the most uh, well-funded um, of sectors. And IBM should be, I believe, you know, A, you know, driving uh, the, the, the web stack and B, um, you know, looking to drive it into academia. Absolutely. I mean, every successful tech wave has had a cadre of graduates. Now, you know, the simple fact is the kids are going to, you know, these are the kind of skills that people learn when they learn the web. So above and beyond computer science, there are just, you know, people learning those skills. But yeah, clearly, um, you know, you should always uh, uh, give crack to school children because then they will become a captive market. See, it's not just me, Stuart. <laughs> Darren's always on about giving crack to people. Excellent, guys. I, I think that's been a really interesting conversation. I think we could probably carry on for another hour, but um, but we normally try to stick to somewhere close to an hour. So I think we've run out of time, but really appreciate your views. I think I think some really interesting stuff we, we've discussed there. So as usual, when we get to the end of the podcast, we ask each of our panellists for a tip that they can share with, with you, the audience. So, um, Darren, do you want to kick us off? What's your tip this time? 
Um, yeah, I, I have just got a new iPhone, which people may have seen when I was on Twitter yesterday. Uh, Lisa traded my BlackBerry in for an iPhone and, and gave it to me last night. And my first feeling was, if you get a new iShiny device, because these things are very shiny, is you may want to surgically remove your fingerprints. Because <laughs> after about two minutes of use, I can no longer see the, 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 the screen. And more of a rant than anything else is... I'm not. I'm unsure why Apple make me put a credit card number in to download free apps. I think that is atrocious, and they need to be taken out and beaten with a big stick for that. Because <laughs> that's what they're after, mate. They're after this huge database of credit cards. At some point, you're going to spend on it. I'm sure. If nothing else, by downloading some free app for your kids that um, they can download <laughs> sixty pounds worth of free in-app purchases, but or not free in-app purchases from. But anyway. Thank you for that. Um, interesting to see you uh, cope with an iPhone over the next few weeks because you've been such an Android fanatic. I'll be interested to see how you feel about the uh, the iOS change. So I'm not getting rid of my Android. Uh, I've still got that. This is the replacement for my BlackBerry because I, I was always a two-phone guy, personal and, and business. Excellent. Angela, what's your tip? Um, mine is uh, next month now, uh, 12th of April, um, we are launching um, a free event uh, online event on demand um, on um, email in the cloud um, called uh, email in the cloud how hype opportunity and your collaboration strategy um, so all you'll need to do for that is just um, log into it using uh, you can use your LinkedIn ID and um, you'll be able to see some presentations from me on email excellent okay and if you can put a, a link for that in the show notes we'll make sure people know we'll where do. to go for that that's great so that's 12th of April yeah that's right yeah Lovely. Okay, thank you, Angela. And James, do you have a tip for us? Yeah, I've got two. Go for it. Uh, one is follow Monk Chips on Twitter. I've got to ask you, where does Monk Chips come from? Oh, for, for, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, well, you could have asked, where's Red Monk come from? And perhaps we'll do that next time. But, um, yeah, Monk <laughs> Chips. I mean, the company name is Red Monk. And, you know, when I was trying to think of a blog name and I was kind of thinking, well, I don't know... Chips off the old monk, chip monk, chips, little, little bits of ideas from red monk, monk, ch ch uh, you know, ch everyone already had chip monk. And, you know, for some absurd reason, I eventually settled on monk chips. Um, Distinctive. You know, and, and, and uh, you know, uh, like most people that name a blog, uh, they realize subsequently that it was a terrible, terrible name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're kind of stuck with it, and and for me now, yeah, monk chips is is you know it's 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 a personal brand if nothing else. Um, so it, it may have been stupid. Um, I probably regret it, um, but you know, hey, I know what it I know what it is, and it, it's shorter than James Governor. <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> Excellent. What was your other tip? Uh, the other the other tip is um, if you're trying to cut your coffee consumption. Treat it like, I was going to say treat it like fags, but, but given that many of the people on this podcast are uh, listening to the podcast are um, uh, of the American persuasion, perhaps treating it like fags uh, won't quite get the message across. So treat it, treat it like a cigarette. So I used to just sit there drinking like liters, you know, gallons of, of coffee. See, I'm doing the American translation as well now. <laughs> gallons of coffee. Um, you know, just make a pot and just keep drinking it and keep drinking it. And, and I would sort of, you know, normally try and not drink coffee in the afternoon. I realized the trick is, 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 is to like ban it from the office. It like smoking. Like if you want to give up smoking, work in an environment where you can't smoke. 
you know. Or if you're trying to give up smoking, at least, if you can't smoke in the office, then you go outside, you, you're going to smoke less, basically. Yeah. And so coffee's like that. I now no longer drink coffee in the office, and I'm down to two coffees a day. I have one espresso in the morning and one after lunch, and that's it. And, and as you can tell, my energy levels are way down. <laughs> We hadn't detected that. Excellent, James. Thank you very much. I might have to follow up on that one. That sounds good. Um, and my tip is, is far less interesting than James's was in, in terms of there being some Skype community chats. As you mentioned in the past, we find Skype an excellent way of keeping in touch with folks around the community. And there are chats for connections quicker and now Lotus Live as well. I know that there's a same time one being kicked off by some other folks as well. So if you're interested in any of those chats, you think you gain some benefit from being on those, uh, contact me. Stuart at collaborationmatters.com and I will make sure you get added to those if you can send me your Skype ID as well that will make that much quicker uh, so uh, that, that's those chats thank you uh, for those tips folks um, so once again thank you James for being on the podcast really appreciate your time taking out to join us today um, do you want to once again remind people how do people sort of follow you uh, how do people, where's your blog that kind of thing uh, wait who what, again where's your blog James my blog it's called monk chips it's, <laughs> yeah, that's your it's, Twitter. it's it's well yeah my blog's called monk chips as well james governor's monk chips um so redmonk.com slash j governor which is hard to remember or www.monkchips.com <laughs> um but but really my fellow bloggers at my my company the other analysts are much more clever and entertaining than me so just go to redmonk.com. There are four bloggers there. There are the clever ones and me. And on Twitter, you should follow Monk Chips on Twitter, unless you want to get any work done. <laughs> Thank you, James. Appreciate your time today. And Angela, how do people find you? Uh, okay, I'm on Twitter too. Um, it's A Ashenden, uh, all one word. Um, and then uh, I have a blog, or we have a, a combined MWD blog, which is at uh, www mwdadvisors.com slash blog okay thanks for your time today Andrew really appreciate you joining us and Darren how do people track you down coffee plus developer equals code <laughs> um, blog.darrenduke.net for all things technically related and then Darren Duke all one word on Twitter for my 140 character rants Excellent. Thank you, Darren. And I'm Stuart McIntyre uh, on Twitter, at Stuart McIntyre. Right. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate your time. And until next week, this was This Week in Lotus. Bye. All opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the participants.